Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the latest in our series of Empire Podcast Spoiler Specials. This one is dedicated to the Cloverfield Paradox. Ooh. It's the latest in the Cloverfield series and it made a splash when it suddenly appeared on Netflix and not in cinemas. Is it a game changer for the industry? Well, we shall see. Uh, but joining me over the next half hour or so to discuss the film and its ramifications, both for Cloverfield, the franchise, and for movies in general, are Helen O'Hara. Hello. And Ben Travis. Hello. Newcomer to the podcast. Back. The Travis Paradox. You've just appeared magically. I have. I have popped in from an alternate dimension. Very good. To be here today, so thanks for having me. Excellent. Otherwise known as Camden. Uh, <laughs> All right, but before we get to talk about the film itself, uh, Ben here spoke to the film's director, Julius Ona, and its producer, one Mr. J.J. Abrams, mm. when they popped into London just after the film launched on Netflix, after a lot of hullabaloo with the Super Bowl trailer and whatnot. And uh, and you spoke about a great many spoilerific things uh, in 15 minutes, Yeah, it was roughly. A, it was uh, a short one, but we managed to touch a bit on... Uh, the wider Cloverfield universe, uh-huh. about some of the specific stuff in the film, uh, uh-huh. some nice little Easter eggs and stuff. Okay. So uh, I feel like I think there's some good tidbits in there if you're a big Cloverfield fan. Fantastic. So, of course, this is a spoiler special. So if you have not seen The Cloverfield Paradox, then hide thee to your nearest cinema... No, wait. Hide thee to your nearest sofa. Watch The Cloverfield Paradox and then come back here and listen to this because we are going to go full spoilerific third act stuff and all after this. But first up... Here are JJ and Julius talking to Ben. Enjoy. So welcome to the uh, Empire spoiler special for The Cloverfield Paradox. I'm very pleased to be joined uh, by the director of the film, Julius Owner, and the uh, Cloverfield overlord himself, JJ Abrams. How are you guys doing? Very good, thank you. Thank you. What a week. (laughs) Nuts. It's crazy. This time last week, there wasn't a third Cloverfield film in the world. This week, there is. Has it been... um, Weird for you guys, having kept it so secret for so long, uh, for then everyone to see it at once and to see on things like social media, seeing people discover it, discovering the secrets, spreading spoilers, sharing their reactions. You know, it's been thrilling. You know, we're not at all just because, um, you know, we'd hoped that doing something like this, dropping it on the world this way would be something that got a reaction. And it's, for me, it succeeded my wildest expectations. Uh, You know, the the idea that, it, it actually was pulled off mm-hmm. that, that Netflix was able to do what they did uh, is just an absolute testament to their their boldness, their incredible team, the way that they were uh, that, that they worked together, did about a year's worth of work in a month and a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, technologically speaking, you know, all the details that had to be worked out for this thing to happen. Mm-hmm to do it in secret and, uh, and again, do it as sort of, uh, as brazenly as they did. It was just wildly impressive to watch. Yeah. What, what was the amount of time between it being decided that it was going to be a sort of surprise drop and then it actually dropping on Netflix? There was, it was a couple months of conversation, mm-hmm. I guess, but it was once it was all official and the marketing teams, you know, had to do their thing and all the materials needed to be put together. I mean, it was, a very short period of time. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, six weeks or something. Brilliant. So um, we're going to go full spoiler details now uh, and talk about some of the uh, really interesting and weird things that happen in this film. So let's go right to the very last shot, which is <laughs> what looks like the original Cloverfield monster 
bursting through the clouds and letting out a gigantic roar. Did you guys specifically choose the original creature? Um, is it the same one from the first film? Because it looks a lot bigger than the original Cloverfield monster. Obviously, there seems to be some kind of alternate dimensions and 20-year time difference. What, what can you tell me about that final shot? Well, it might be bigger or the Earth might be smaller. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's the same creature, uh, but definitely bigger. Yeah. I mean, it was a baby in uh, uh, in the first one, so, you know, maybe it started eating its Wheaties and grew a little bit. <laughs> when was that de decided as the final shot, that this is the note that we're going to go at, out on, on this kind of full-on monster reveal? Especially because with the original being handheld, you got kind of fleeting glimpses of the, of the monster. This was like a full-on, well, really I clean shot. Well, as we were working on the movie, uh, and, and, you know, I know some people have... have said that you know it, it's it's not a good thing if things iterate mm -hmm. that things should originate and they should you know you should be beholden to that original idea the whole time i i personally feel like when you're working on something and there are ideas that inspire you it's never too late to say hey what about or what if and try something mm -hmm. and this was something that happened i mean this was well into post-production but we we had this ending and there were alternate versions of a lot of things, but this idea came up, you know, a long time ago. And when we tried it, it, it made us laugh. It just, mm -hmm. it just felt like one of those things that, you know, especially with the mix that Will Files and the sounds that Robbie Stambler and, you know, uh, Lindsay Alvarez also worked on, you know, when we were sitting in the, in the theater, even when it was a, the rough version, mm -hmm. uh, the sort of animatic and the, this creature popped out. It just, it, you know, it, it made us laugh. So it was, it was one of those things that it, it wasn't in the original, the original script, mm -hmm. but as we worked on it, it felt like it was, it, it was a fun way to, first of all, make literal the thing. And, and secondly, have it be the payoff mm -hmm. to this story that you were watching on earth of, you know, what was happening on this planet, uh, while they were away, uh, in, in terms of the Michael story, mm -hmm feeling like this might be a kind of military thing, ground invasion, you're not quite sure what it is, and in the end, it, it's sort of com, you know confirming that this was mm -hmm. sort of a monster movie happening simultaneous with the space station. Yeah. And uh, talking about connections to the original Cloverfield as well, one of the original theories that kind of sprang out of that film uh, was, again, at the very end, when you seemingly see something fall into the water. Mm -hmm. With this introducing parallel dimensions and the, the two stations merging and one of them crashing out of the sky... Is that a direct reference to that? Yeah, it, it was for me, but... Yeah, I mean, look, the, the nice thing about what that last shot did for us, um, and if you look back at the previous movies too, which just opened uh, a set of possibilities were mm -hmm. very intriguing. And now that we've had these multiple timelines that have been opened and things that are happening interdimensionally, um, there's many different ways for these things to play out. So uh, it was a real fun connection to make mm -hmm. with uh, uh, things dropping to the ocean that you see in the movie when they first uh, realize they've landed in this other dimension. Mm -hmm. um, and... Uh, without, I know it's the spoiler special, but there's still more possibilities that will come with uh, mm -hmm. more strands of the story. Yeah, I wanted to ask about that because um, one of the things the conspiracy theorist says on the news uh, in the film is that um, they kind of introduce the idea of dimensions and demons, and as well, it specifically says in the past and the future. Mm -hmm. Was it always um, part of the plan when you were looking at how Cloverfield could expand to introduce a film that would open all those narrative possibilities that you can do a Cloverfield in any time period, in the future, in the past, in any dimension. Well, it, it felt like a, a bit of uh, an opportunity that was too good to pass up yeah. and kind of a catch-all 
And on the one hand, you can say, well, then anything anywhere could be a Cloverfield movie. And, mm -hmm. and it's not the, the intention has never been take a movie and then slap Cloverfield on it. The, <laughs> the idea was to say Cloverfield is a kind of umbrella, you know, under which all sorts of genres and, and thrill rides can take place. Mm -hmm. it, I know that there are some who feel like, oh, I want it to just be a linear, linear narrative, and I, I totally get that. And, and it's what most sequels end up being. For us, the idea has always been, could there be spiritual successors and, and, and sequels that weren't literally a narrative sequel, but that had a connection to the original movie in, in the DNA of how we made it? Mm -hmm. So, for example, with Cloverfield, it was this... The inspiration was what would happen if there was a monster movie and it was the point of view of, you know, the every man, every woman on the street. You rarely would get that. You know, most most giant monster movies have these sort of God's eye view uh, storylines yeah. and, and you kind of pop between a bunch of different characters. This was a very sort of intentionally intimate, singular point of view. The second movie was an inspiration of, you know, another kind of what if and that feeling of, you know, what if you find yourself being held captive by someone who might be crazy but might also be right mm -hmm. about something, you know, hyper bizarre, supernatural sci-fi happening outside. This third one was it began as this story on the space station. But what we realized was the opportunity for almost the way Poltergeist used uh, a haunting mm -hmm. to allow for all these disparate elements. So what a stake crawling on a counter or a bunch of chairs stacking up or these, you know, corpses rising out of the pool or a tree or a toy clown coming to life and grabbing you or a girl going to a television set. What all those things have to do with a haunting, it just it, it allowed for crazy weird shit you just want to see within a, a, a storyline that had a sort of excuse for it. So what we realized was, though this was a future story, there was an opportunity for us to create something that would give license to do things that were simply insane and mm -hmm. reality mending and bizarre, but not even just in this movie, but also in the films that have preceded it and those that follow. So from your guys' point of view, um, would you say that the events of the Cloverfield paradox is sort of like, is the big bang that allows all the other Cloverfield uh, stuff to happen? Yeah, yeah, that, absolutely. That, that's a good yeah, way to put it. Yeah. So to, to go kind of all in on Cloverfield paradox. So one thing I thought was really interesting you guys spoke about this, there being various iterations of the film along the line. The opening scene is actually a really lovely, quiet scene uh, between uh, Gugu's character and mm. her husband, Michael. That really centers her as, as the, the protagonist for the film. But was there ever a version where Gugu's character wasn't initially denoted as the focus, but then kind of like Alien, where Ripley, over the course of the film, becomes becomes the central character it kind of zones in on her was there ever an iteration of the film like that never it's always, uh, it, it always been about um, Hamilton at the center of the story mm -hmm. and the journey that this character goes on and I think that was great for us as an anchor because you know when you are in the situation where anything goes and anything's possible uh, uh, you know it's easy for I think uh, the emotional journey of a story to lose its focus but mm -hmm. having Hamilton at the center of the film um, was something that I think for all of us um, kept it 
one foot on the ground. Uh, so as we kind of, you know, spiraled out there and did some of the wild, crazy things we did in the movie, we always knew we were going to be coming back to her. Uh, mm -hmm. It allows you to, you know, have a gigantic monster in your movie, yet at the same time, um, you know, not lose track of of who that anchor is uh, emotionally. And, and uh, you know, and Gugu just did such a terrific job uh, owning that woman. Uh, talking to some of the other characters in the film, um, uh, Mundy, uh, Chris O'Dowd's character, makes a really big impression. Uh, he delivers a lot of laughs all the way through, but he also gets a really horrible death. Um, where did you come up with the idea for his, uh, his demise? You know, uh, we were kind of playing around with just all the different ideas of crazy things that we thought could end up in this movie. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, uh, Magno Putty was something that came up uh, after seeing some real magnetic putty on the mm -hmm. Internet. And we thought, Jesus, we haven't seen anything like that in a movie before. Um, what if we played around with this thing and what the possibilities were? So, you know, that that death kind of came from us just, you know, doing the R&D of like, could we actually make this effect work? Um, and then also, you know, in what way would that affect one of the characters in the film? And, um, you know, Mundy, uh, Chris did such a great job because it's, it's hard to be that kind of character in a movie sometimes mm -hmm. and not, you know, just kind of feel like a throwaway or be flimsy. But he, he made Mundy still feel like this smart, real human being. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, in, in many ways, somewhat of an audience surrogate when you see all these crazy things happening. Like he reacts or says the things that we're, we might all be thinking. Um, and, you know, who better to put up against Magno Putty than the amazing Chris O'Dowd. So it just it just made sense as we were, um, you know, exploring and, and writing and putting mm -hmm. it together. Uh, another question about Mundy. Who's controlling Mundy's arm? that gives them the uh, instruction about Volkov. What can you tell me about that? I think it's uh, maybe the best question we've ever got. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think that the, the the feeling that we had when we were working on the movie was, uh, what what is the weirdest, most bizarre, most frightening thing that could happen? You know, the, I love the idea of this arm being taken off, but, it, mm -hmm. but Monday not feeling it. Like it not, nope, no pain, but just suddenly his arm is gone and mm -hmm. that felt strange. And then the idea that the arm suddenly sort of takes a life, takes on a life of its own and is somehow, you know, in a way that felt like, because we kept asking ourselves, like, if you were to have a nightmare and you, you wake up and you said, I had this nightmare and you described it and it was something that was so irrational, mm -hmm. but the idea that you would have, you know, something happened like this where, you know, not just that the arm disappears, but that the arm starts, you know, uh, reappears and then it communicates something that the idea that this piece of equipment from the, the space station would go missing and end up in someone's stomach, that these, mm -hmm. the worms would, would pop out. A woman would be in the wall. It's like all these things have uh, very tenuous connections to, well, there's an alternate reality in which, but to me it was as soon as they did this thing, they broke reality mm -hmm. and that what was happening was as much of a fever dream, twisted nightmare. So logical, rational questions. And I understand, you know, I, I would have the same question, mm -hmm. but I think that again, in a bit like, you know, like poltergeist, when you say, well, is it there just to scare you? And just, you know, these things there just to be weird. I, I guess that part of it was they were, they just, these characters that hopefully you connect with and you, you like, you suddenly find yourself, you know, as, as, you know, with them as your proxy in a situation that is simply bizarre and simply terrifying and a bizarre fever dream. And that was really the intention. So there is no one spirit. Mm -hmm. There is no one force. Uh, one could argue, I suppose, that it's like somehow it's a version of Monday trying to 
you know, who's in this other dimensional space that's not a reality that we know, who becomes aware of it, who's trying to communicate with that Monday. I mean, you could you can make arguments, but to me, there is no no one answer. It's more the experience of it. Mm-hmm. That, or you could just wait for the Cloverfield movie to be entirely from the point of view of the arm. Um, I would love that. <laughs> that, that so would be. I think our time's nearly up, so I'm going to just go for some real quick-fire questions mm-hmm. to, to finish off on. Uh, so in the credits, uh, there are cameos from Simon Pegg and Greg Grunberg, uh, both JJ Lucky Charms. Where, where, where are they in the film? Where can we look out for them? Uh, I believe that Simon Simon's voice, I think, is the second voice you hear mm-hmm. audibly. Uh, in the stories. And Greg is the... Uh, Michael's friend on the phone mm-hmm. uh, who works at, uh, at Mission Control. There's a Kelvin gas station, which has appeared in other Cloverfield films, mm-hmm. a Super 8. Uh, there's the Slusho uh, bullhead on the dash. Mm-hmm. Uh, what other Easter eggs can people look out for in the film? Uh, I mean, there's Tagorado there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see that uh, logo uh, in certain parts of the space station. Mm-hmm. I think you've hit the, the big ones, though. I mean, there's Slusho. You've had Calvin. Calvin shows up in a couple of different Julius places. had my favorite idea, which ended up not being the movie. <laughs> I know. Oh, God. Oh, no, no, it was great. I loved it. It was, yeah. It was my favorite thing. Uh, when the uh, During the spacewalk sequence and all this mm-hmm. debris is flying around, there was a truck that was going around that right. was just there. And it was from the, the Cloverfield, uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane. Uh, it was the, the truck from Stambler's truck. But it was one of those things that, once again, it was just... Some people called it out as being too crazy. Mm-hmm. I loved it because I just thought it was, it was so bonkers. But... Uh, some people felt it was too distracting. I thought it was amazing. Another connection from Ten Cloverfield Lane. Donald Logue's character has the same surname yeah, as John Goodman's character. Again, was that coincidental or was that kind of a... a no, that was on purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, so very final one. Um, one thing I really liked uh, that was just a silly little thing was the kids' TV program Bleep Bloop. <laughs> what can you tell me about Bleep Bloop? Uh, Bleep Bloop is a real thing that, uh, that Ben Schwartz and I did together years ago that we've just never done anything with. Mm-hmm. And when we had this beat where uh, Molly, the little girl, was watching a, a, a video, we, we used it. And uh, Ben and I have been talking about having to – now we have to probably put it out there. I would watch a Bleep Bloop series, just saying. <laughs> cool. Wait until you see the thing for real. It's ridiculous. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you so much, guys. You, it's been uh, great to speak to you about the thank film. You. And uh, yeah, thanks very much for your time. Thanks so much. Cool. Okay, so that was Julius Ona and uh, J.J. Abrams talking to Ben Travis about the Cloverfield Paradox. Uh, before I want to get the film itself, the third act stuff um, and spoilers and some of the film's more inventive death scenes, let's talk about the, the way the film dropped mm-hmm. and what this means. I think everyone, in fact, we talked about this in the podcast, the regular podcast, mm-hmm. thinks that this is a brand new thing. But I feel it kind of a new film drops on Netflix every week now without <laughs> any hullabaloo. Or mm-hmm. there's a Jack Black film on Netflix which just appeared out of nowhere called The, the Polka, Polka King. King. Yeah. yeah and I have no either. idea what it is. I have no idea. I'd never heard of it. Mm-hmm. No idea it was being made. And suddenly there it is on Netflix. How is that different from. And the Will, the Will Forte comedy as well. The Will Forte comedy, which, which debuted over here at the same time as it was playing in Sundance. In Sundance, mm-hmm. yeah. No fanfare. There it is. Here's a movie. Go and watch it. How's that different from what they've done with The Cloverfield Paradox? I think maybe the difference in this case is this one did have a scheduled cinema release. Maybe mm-hmm. that's it literally comes down to that. This one was when I was putting together the preview of 2017 mm-hmm. for Empire, we were actually looking for pictures of it at that point and they kept sort of going, "Oh, we'll we'll see maybe some guy, day guys, but not not today, but you know, we'll get you some pictures one day." Um so it's been kind of on the schedule for a long time. It's been pushed back a few times and uh and yeah. now it appears this way. I think as well the, the name recognition, like uh, Cloverfield's been around for the last 10 years now and 
Netflix has had some big, fil- big films uh, dropping on the service, and they had Bright, obviously, just before Christmas, but that was their kind of, we're here, we're making big, big blockbuster films, whereas Cloverfield was like, here's a series you already know, here's a film that you might already have been anticipating, and we've got it here now before you even really knew officially that it existed. And what it does as well is that it created excitement for the film. Mm-hmm. I think whenever mm-hmm. the film itself, I think it's probably fair to say, is not that great overall. It, it, yeah. it's, it's, it's okay. It's okay. It's, it's fine. It's yeah. a really good cast, yeah. which gives it something. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some interesting like sci-fi ideas in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, yeah, it's not going to set the world alight. Uh, and so this had a chance for people to watch it before really they realised that it wasn't quite up to the standards of 10 Cloverfield Lane, which <laughs> yeah. is a very, very good film. And Cloverfield, which I have mixed feelings on the first Cloverfield, but uh, it still has a lot of great stuff of going it. for it. I remember all the build-up and um, being with my friends and kind of us all wondering, like, what is this film going to be? Mm-hmm. And then going on opening night, that whole excitement around it. I guess it's probably uh, time to rewatch it and see how it stands up on its own. But that felt like an event at the time. I think they did a good job of, in some ways, trying to replicate that excitement because more than any other Netflix film... This is the one where, on that Monday when it dropped, my entire Twitter feed was talking about it compared mm-hmm. to other kind of Netflix films. Like you say, like The Polka King, no one on my Twitter was talking about The Polka King. And there has been a massive trend for underperformance in thinky sci-fi recently mm-hmm. on the big screen, uh, up to and including Blade Runner 2049, which had all the promo in the world. Mm-hmm. That's got mm-hmm. to worry you if you're Paramount, who had the film originally, mm-hmm. um, and are kind of, you know, they, they haven't had a huge string of hits recently. They've had some high-profile losses, and I think they wanted the security of the Netflix deal. This way, everybody comes out smelling of roses. They took no risk whatsoever mm-hmm. um, and and got some money that covered the cost of this film and a bit more besides. Netflix managed a sort of publicity coup that got people talking about them, mm-hmm. and the film probably got more eyes on than it would have gotten yeah. in the big mm-hmm. screen. Yeah. I mean, certainly that's what they said with, with Bright. If the, if the numbers that Nielsen declared had seen 11 million people in, the, in America in the first weekend apparently watched Bright as according to Nielsen because as we know Netflix never released the numbers yeah. uh, 11 million people roughly $10 a ticket that would have been $110 million opening weekend That's uh, I don't think Bright would have got that in the cinemas <laughs> so that's a huge huge win mm. but at the same time there's a, there's a flip side to that coin and that is you make a film for the, for the cinema this isn't a Gareth uh, Evans with Apostle situation or Duncan Jones with Mute mm-hmm. situation which is we have these films uh, and even Martin Scorsese with The Irishman. Mm. And no studio will make these films. But here come Netflix to back us. And we know going in that this is going to end up debuting on the small screen. And there's a different situation here. I yeah, think, this for, is more Alex Jewish Garland and Annihilation. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, I think ultimately, if your film is enhanced by a theatrical experience, that you may be a little bit annoyed about that. But then listen, this is all supposition. I'm sure yeah. Julia Zona is delighted mm-hmm. that 8 trillion people uh, watch the <laughs> film at once. We've got some questions from people that I've, I've just had being sent in. A lot of people are asking about uh, Chris O'Dowd's severed arm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, namely, what was going on there? Writer's Block asks, should it have ended with Chris O'Dowd's severed arm making a jerk-off motion? <laughs> <laughs> yes. The, uh, the guys in the interview said, um, we were talking about how it could open up all the possibilities of, of future Cloverfield films, that they can be set anywhere at any time. And uh, Julius Erna did propose uh, a film told entirely from the point of view of the arm, which I think would be interesting. Yeah. We yeah. haven't seen that before. No. So that was would be a thing. Would Maybe not it? a good thing. No. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe uh, the arm could team up with Ash's arm. Oh, my God. From Evil Dead. High-five yes. each other. Yeah. Yes. 
Well, this is one of the things about this movie because it is—it's a fun movie as far as it goes. I had—I I enjoyed it at the time, but it's a movie that reminds you constantly that there are better films mm. out there. So it's a movie that reminds you that Event Horizon exists because you have—you uh, have always a good thing. Always a good thing. You have a space station that appears to be taking on a mind of its own and it appears to be trying to kill off the people on there, and maybe it's crossed over into some sort of hellion dimension. You don't—you don't know that for sure, but that—that that seems to be a, an, an, an indication. Obviously, reminds you there's alien. Mm-hmm. Exists yeah. because there's literally a chestburster scene. <laughs> uh, there, there's it reminds you that Evil Dead Two exists because there is an arm with a mind of its own, and the end. And this is interesting because uh, the first Cloverfield for me, shall we say, lovingly homages the end of Miracle Mile by Steve DeJarnat. <laughs> if you've never seen Miracle Mile, check it out. It's a really good film. And Cloverfield, uh, the end of Cloverfield is very similar to Miracle Mile. And likewise, the end of this, where you have Roger Davies, Michael, yeah. Yelling on a phone to people to stop something, stop something, stop, don't tell them not to come back, tell them not to come back, is so Halloween 3. Mm-hmm. It is so Halloween 3. But, that said, I love the severed arm. <laughs> the severed arm. The severed arm just felt like it had wandered in, literally just appeared from a different film and was going, hey guys, how's it going? For me, to be honest, so did the rest of Chris O'Dowd. I thought that was a funny <laughs> character, but the film moves through, through some really weird tones. It starts off yeah, totally, um, all over. quite very kind of tense sci-fi build-up and then yeah. you've got a real a little stretch that's it's full on horror. You got full on mm-hmm. sci fi horror. You got um, the woman turning up in the vents in the ship, and you've got um, the worms bursting out of the Russian dude, and you've got all these kind of really creepy things going on. And then Chris O'Dowd's character comes to the forefront. And you get the arm, and you've got him spouting kind of really goofy comedy lines. And that was one thing that first time around I was like, oh, I don't know how I feel about this because I was enjoying the tense buildup and I know we've seen some of this stuff before, uh, but I felt quite intrigued by the situation and then I felt that some of that humour that he brought into it really deflated that. But I did oh. find the arm stuff fun, even if there was no real payoff for kind of how the arm knew anything. Yeah, or... it doesn't make sense, does it? Because like, if the other crew in the other dimension, if there was some kind of crossover there and they basically crossed arms and the arms were somehow still connected to what they knew in each dimension, like if you'd had two parallel crews somehow, mm-hmm. that would have maybe been a cool way of communicating between them and that would have been quite a funky, different lent into way that to deal even with more. it. But that's not what it was in the end. And that, that's what I honestly thought it was kind mm-hmm. of building to. And, and, and I mean, I, I kind of flout asked them in the interview, who who was controlling Mundy's arm? And the answer was basically huh? a kind of fun, who knows? <laughs> Infinite possibilities. I think that's a, that's a nice get out for this entire film, mm. isn't it? Who knows? Why why is the ship alive? <laughs> who who knows? knows? Why why does the ship appear to come to life to kill Chris O'Dowd's character in that scene? Because there's the magnetic stuff that's happening yeah. Yeah. and you think that you know, it's just it's 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 one of those. It's like a crazy Friday the Thirteenth movie. It's a bit like Alien Covenant in that way, and it becomes people are just being picked off one at a time, mm-hmm. but not by a mass serial killer. By I, w- I would assume the ship itself. For example, you know Tam's um, Sang Si's character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That seems to be the ship going. Ah, I'm yeah. going to kill you now with water and freeze you to death because of I've turned into Eddie Izzard, uh, you know, because of of evil business. And the same thing with Chris O'Dowd. So you have the, the the ship becomes magnetized, or the room becomes magnetized. But then it looks like the thing the 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 it almost becomes an arm it's kind that of hooks around into him, isn't it? Yeah. Like, it looks like I thought it was going to like jab through him. That it was going to basically kind of stab him, and he just falls That's on the floor. Thought. But then he's kind of writhing against the wall, and it's mm, I didn't into I didn't him take and... it that way. I took it as a 
an attempt by the natural laws of the universe to you know rid itself of a parasite almost like rid itself of a germ like it knows it's not meant to be here right and therefore the natural laws turn on it and turn on them that was kind of how i read it but it's maybe because i've read way too much (laughs) sci-fi um but but, yeah but because you have maybe you can explain things that (laughs) others cannot bless your little cotton socks why the wall starts eating chris o'dowd's arm in the first place I mean, it doesn't make any sense. I'm not saying that specifically <laughs> makes sense. I'm yeah. just saying that that was how I took it at the time. I didn't yeah. take it as the ship, per se. I took it as okay. nature. I mean, yeah. kind of tying into that whole who knows thing, um, I thought it was quite interesting. You were talking about Halloween 3 and mm-hmm. Evil Dead 2 and Alien. Uh, but the film that, that JJ and Julius, oh, I think more JJ brought up the most, was Poltergeist. Where he was saying that film is uh, you've got you've got the haunting, but it's not one specific spirit. It's not um, the traditional rules of a ghost movie, but it it gives you that situation as uh, an excuse, really, to just come up with all these cool, weird ideas that you just want to try and see what that would look like on the screen and and how that would feel unnerving to watch. And um, that's what they were kind of going for here. So, uh, with that in mind. Um, I can see that they were trying to do some fun things. I just wish that people are always going to watch these films looking for things to question. People love uh, the theories and stuff around the Cloverfield Mm. movies and around basically everything that J.J. Abrams does. So um, I feel like that probably wasn't the wisest path to go down because it just leaves everyone with with more more questions and... Uh, Yeah, but the thing is, it's all very well. I I get what you're saying and... and you know, and that's fair. Poltergeist is just a series of crazy stuff happening. But that kind of works because it is meant to be supernatural. It's meant mm-hmm. to be just, you know, mm. again, nature going completely batshit. Um, that doesn't work so well with sci-fi unless you get into really sort of heavy, big concept sci-fi like 2001, which is perhaps what they thought they were doing here. Um, to some extent, at least. Well, of course, it's interesting that the original title of this movie was The God Particle. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so, and we know as well that the film was retconned and retrofitted to some extent, as yeah. was 10 Cloverfield Lane, to fit, fit this into the Cloverfield universe. So I'm wondering if, in its original incarnation, it was a bit event horizon and they did use mm-hmm. the, the shepherd, the particle accelerator, and it was successful, and they did discover God essentially, yeah. or a god-type figure or some sort of unseen entity. So it's basically Event Horizon meets Star Trek V, The Final mm. Frontier. If that doesn't sound like the greatest film ever made. <laughs> I mean, that would be just The incredible. worst Star Trek film, Chris. <laughs> yeah, I know, but it has that cool bit with Spock with the hover with the boots. boots. Yeah, yeah. That's and literally in the first ten minutes. And then Scotty it's all banging his now. head. That's fun. <sighs> And then yeah. the rest is shit. The yeah, okay, fair unbearable. enough. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so maybe maybe that was around in the original script, and gradually, as it became a Cloverfield film, it just became a series of of death scenes. And I, I enjoyed the. I, I was sad to see Chris O'Dowd's character go on Monday, but uh, it was a fun enough sequence. And Sang Yi's character had had a really memorable death. Yeah, I wondered. I didn't get um, time to ask JJ about this, but I did wonder if that was. Um, a, a somewhat of a Lost reference. It felt very much like if anyone's watched uh, Lost, Charlie's death, where uh, he's drowning and he's locked in a little uh, underground room and they, he can't get out and he puts his hand up against the glass. Somebody on the other end, other side of the glass puts their hand on the glass. It kind of mirrored that beat for beat. I, that's probably reading into it a bit too much, but the JJ connection is is there. Is there. Yeah. 
And they're certainly stepping it up, aren't they? They're certainly stepping up the Cloverfield activity. Mm. The first one was 2008, then we had eight years before Cloverfield Lane, uh, and now two years before this one. And we know there's another one, which mm-hmm. will probably be theatrically released, which is Overlord, which which appears to be a World War II movie, possibly set around D-Day. That would make sense. That would make sense. And uh, and you know what? I, I, I'm all for this. I'm all for a low-budget Cloverfield movie Every year, if it explores a different genre, I don't necessarily mind, and we're going to get into this in a second because we have a question, I don't necessarily mind about them linking up. I don't mind about the events in one movie seeming to contradict events in another movie or multiple universes, all that sort of stuff. If this is just a huge, big screen slash small screen Mm. anthology series, Twilight Zone stuff going on, I'm I'm quite happy. And Mm -hmm. in that case, if it's one every year, then you can have the odd, Stinkeroo. I think that's partly why the, the Netflix stuff around this is was such a good move because I am still as excited as I ever would have been for the next Cloverfield because of the anthology style yeah. because it, it's going to be totally different to this just as, as uh, Cloverfield Paradox was totally different to 10 Cloverfield Lane. So now it makes the narrative around this one, uh, it wasn't so great, but do you remember when it came out on Netflix and we all watched it at the same time and mm. that's what it's going to be remembered yeah. for more and we'll all move on uh, when, you know, yeah, when the next one comes uh, around, and hopefully that'll be um, I'll have a bit of a smoother release and uh, a smoother production as well. Mm. Uh, okay, so here's a question from Dan Moorhead via Twitter: Are any of the events across the films taking place in the same Earth, or are we seeing monsters and aliens appearing across the multiverse? There's a similar monster at the end of this movie to the first Cloverfield film, but yeah. much, much bigger. So, well, depending on the height of the cloud cover, <laughs> but yes. So I asked them yeah. about this, and it took me a long time. If the answer is indeed right, and it does come from JJ and Julius themselves, it took me a long time to wrap my head around this. So I asked them if it is the same creature that we see in the original Coverfield, if it's the same one. JJ said it's, it is the same creature, it's definitely bigger. And Julius said it was a baby in the first one. So it seems to suggest that the original Cloverfield and the first Earth we go to in Paradox are the same, and that this is they're like non-linear sequels. So at the start of Cloverfield Paradox, there has been no monster activity, but it's 2028. They go to space, they do the bad thing, which then disrupts time, uh-huh. allowing 20 years earlier in 2008 the original Cloverfield New Yorky stuff to happen. So then by the time she is coming back down to Earth, there has been 20 years of Cloverfield madness what? and the creature Wait, has does got it have a lot to be bigger. the same earth though if, if it, it's it the same monster right we get it, it's the same monster right mm. but it could have come through the rift after so this so this could, earth doesn't mm. have to have been under attack for 20 years is what i'm saying that is also true because also in the film it seems like the they're only under attack for a night it, or a couple of nights. Yeah, yeah, it seems to have been a fairly recent event. But then again, you are getting into paradoxical territory, so uh, what we're seeing may not represent what comes to have happened. Uh, what? No. My, <laughs> this, is, this is hurting my brain. But you're right. There, there, it does seem like the first one was a, was a, was a baby. And of course, at the end of Cloverfield, there is a, a garbled transmission, which I believe if you, if you can uh, unravel it, says something along the lines of, 
it's still alive or it didn't work or because they try and kill it at the end with, with fire mm-hmm. and it doesn't it doesn't seem to have worked. Um, that's intriguing, but certainly 10 Cloverfield Lane, which has got aliens and spaceships and all sorts of stuff, that seems to be something else. So whenever they fire the shepherd, and as we know, the 18 minutes, 20 seconds thing appears to be it's nonsense. So the, the, theory, well, the theory goes, and this was uncovered by someone very, very quickly, I think it was on Reddit, mm-hmm. that if you play Cloverfield uh, and Cloverfield Paradox side by side, at 18 minutes and 20 seconds into Cloverfield Paradox, they fire up the Shepherd, the particle accelerator, and that's when the monster is first heard in <laughs> Cloverfield. <laughs> All right. Wow. Which is, okay. which is a Wizard of Oz, Pink Floyd, yeah. uh, convergence of events. But uh, apparently, and this is from JJ himself, mm. that was a complete coincidence. And he was very tickled when I told him that theory. And uh, he said, no, just it, just it happenstance. So we can we can scratch that one off the list. But it's still it's still baking my noodle, I have to say. So the idea is clear when they fire up the shepherd that it unleashes Cthulhu and his hordes and <laughs> or whatever it is <laughs> and they go into all these different dimensions at the mm-hmm. same time. So we can say probably the 10 Cloverfield Lane doesn't take place the same Yeah, that seems to be timeline. Kind of parallel dimension. Yeah. Because it's it's the, the the boundaries between the dimensions and space and time. They've opened all the possibilities here basically. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that seems to be a totally different situation. Sorry, of, why is that? Who knows? Why, no, why did, is, they, did, did they say they, it had to be a parallel world for 10 Cloverfield Lane? They didn't say that. Okay. But I... Why the, do we think that? I because know, I that think takes that... place in 2016. Mm-hmm. So if the events of Cloverfield had already happened, mm-hmm. then they would know about them. But they're, they're, that takes place in a world where, which hasn't been ravaged by monsters or aliens at the very, very beginning. And Michelle's only in that bunker for a couple of weeks. Well... Or months, rather. Here's my thing about that. Okay, we're going to the. Par- uh, am, I, am I going to take up my spreadsheet again? And possibly. Oh God. I mean, uh, the way I read it when I originally watched it right. was that New York might have happened in New York, but that was then, uh-huh. and then there was nothing, and then everything went bananas again. Uh huh. With aliens. Yeah. And then, but the aliens are clearly not around at the beginning of Paradox, which is why that might be a different world. Unless when time was opened up, it went backwards, which it we know it will. In fact, yeah, okay, from Overlord. So you're saying you're saying this could all be the one, the one Earth. Yeah, because now yeah. all bets are off, and everything can take place in the same universe. Because what had happened before is no longer necessarily what happened in the past. All right, okay, but what about? And a lot of people have asked about this. The the shot in Cloverfield where you see a small bit of what looks like d- debris fall to the ground. I asked uh-huh. about this. Initially, okay. So uh, the all the viral marketing stuff around that at the time said it was a Japanese space station. Uh, they, they kind of made some little uh, like viral news stories to, to kind of go alongside that. Um, I think it was, they said it was more of, they had... One thing that I asked them in the interview was if uh, when the two universes collide and you've got both spaceship uh, space stations at the same time one knocks the other out of the sky in the universe that they travel into and that falling to earth and also you've got the little shuttle that they're in at the end is was that some kind of reference 
to the original with the <laughs> something falling out of the sky. And again, it was a kind of, uh, they're not sure answer, but they said they had fun uh, kind of coming up with things to drop out of the sky so that people could make those connections for themselves. I love the not sure answer. <laughs> Which basically means we in 2008, we didn't know what it was and we didn't think we'd be making something 10 years later and here we are and it doesn't really, the, the dots don't really join, no. but it's fine. <laughs> Uh, whatever you do, do not make a podcast that tries to pick this apart. <laughs> I, I really wish that they'd um, shown some kind of totally different monster at the end of Paradox because mm. it uh, it would have kept them all, all the films quite nicely separate where you go, okay, this is the reason why it happened because in one of the universes, somebody did the bad thing with the particle accelerator and now across all different dimensions, weird stuff is happening, but the the weird stuff that is happening is different in every dimension. Um, whereas the, using the original creature at the end uh, spews up a whole person full of worms in terms of the timelines and that kind of thing. I also would have just liked to see a different type of monster because... It was a I, really ugly monster to begin with. Like, yeah. It was a really unpleasant design. I, I, I enjoyed at the end of 10 Cloverfield Lane, spoiler alert, but this is a spoiler podcast, that when you see the uh, the sort of alien creature, it's totally different. It looks nothing like the original Cloverfield monster, or even the little ones that fall off it. Yeah. Um, so I would have quite liked to see some totally different creature. All right, we'll, we'll wrap this up very, very quickly. But uh, we have another question here from Chris II, who asks, would it, for both this and 10 Cloverfield Lane, do you think it would have been better had they not been Cloverfield movies in terms of name and advertising? Because both were clearly meant to have twists at the end, but in his opinion, ruined by the fact that they we know that they're in the Cloverfield world. Um, mm, I don't think... I wasn't ruined. I didn't feel ruined in either case. I feel like the the first one was, oh, sorry, Ten Cloverfield Lane. I mean, the, the ending of that was just such a left turn that I thought it was. It felt unexpected, despite the name of the film, and uh, and it feels weird and bizarre and quite satisfying in a strangely unsatisfying way. Um, and 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 the same kind of with this one. Um, I mean, I, this one I did a bit know was coming just because of stuff um but uh but it was kind of an interesting note to end on and an interesting hook to end on as well yeah i I like that these are both cloverfield films that they've come out as cloverfield films um i think it's a really good avenue for filmmakers um who will get a chance to to direct a film with with big budget um or not big budget with Mm kind of wide appeal with name appeal that people will go out and see because of that name connection. But largely they are still the films that the filmmakers set out to create, that they there's a lot of creativity within um, within the franchise that you can do whatever you want with it. Um, I, like Helen, really liked the end of 10 Cloverfield Lane. I loved that twist that it's both. He is crazy, he's a horrible man, but there also is an alien invasion inside, uh, outside. So if you go out, you're going to die. Mm. Um I felt like one of the things with this one was that it didn't really have a twist. It, or it didn't seem to. And I guess that was slightly disappointing. It would have been interesting to see, like you said, if there was some kind of element about them enraging God or discovering the kind of power to create or change life and that that has repercussions, whereas this just seemed yeah. that they had. I, I think there were, there, were, there were twists all the way through, but I don't know if there was a big twist. The The... the <laughs> The non-twist that I I thought was quite funny was the revelation that Elizabeth Debicki uh, as Jensen, uh, who appears looking 
apart from the fact that she appears in great pain. But for the rest of the movie, she just sits there looking sinister and evil. Turns out to be sinister and evil. What? Um, well, not... I mean, she's kind of got right on her side a little bit. You know, she's trying to do it for the future of... Sure. Her humanity and whatnot. But, yeah. When your bad guy turns out to be... When the obvious screaming bad guy turns out to be the bad guy, I thought they could have worked on that one a little bit more. Yeah, they maybe could have. I, I did think that the... Um, the revelation that Ava's children were alive in the in the alternate dimension that was a bit of a gut punch you could you could feel that one that that yeah that that hurt and that that did make you wonder for a moment okay how is this going to go yeah but only a moment because you're like nah she's she's going to do the right thing yeah although she sends a video message to herself saying don't do that thing that you wouldn't do because i've done it but you clearly haven't done it, so you're not going to do it. But, you know, she's, she's very... She doesn't have much faith in herself, <laughs> in her alternate self. But then, I mean, that is actually quite logical because if if there are actual, you know, exact um, duplicates of people in this alternate dimension, then ultimately the population has to be pretty similar. Mm-hmm. So she has reason to believe that her children will die in the alternate dimension, even if they didn't die at exactly the same moment. Because otherwise the population would look completely different. Well, this all, yeah, you're right, because this alternate dimension has the, the, the makeup of the crew is exactly the same, bar one. Yeah. Uh, and the only difference really is that Schmidt, the Daniel Brühl character, is uh, an evil baddie in the uh, alternate dimension. But a heroic goodie who survives to fight another day in this one. Or does he? Because they might just be food now for the big Cloverfield monster. And... I did rewind and see if I didn't know the first time I watched it whether it literally fell into the monster. <laughs> 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 that would be a kind of the end of Deep Rising. Now what? <laughs> now another a film thing. Of them inside the monster, inside the pod. Yeah, but uh, I I don't mind the fact that these are Cloverfield films. Uh, I think it, it's quite fun. We've we've talked constantly in the podcast about you know how other studios have tried to replicate the Marvel model without success. This isn't doing that. This is going about it in a kind of nutty kind of retconned kind of way. Um, and I quite frankly feel that this, if this movie had been released as God Particle and if uh, Cloverfield Lane had been released as, I believe, The Fault, we wouldn't be talking about them. They'd be fun little movies that would, that would popped up, uh, probably been reviewed in Kim Newman's Video Dungeon in Empire. Uh, maybe pick it up if you see it on Netflix or Amazon uh, a year or so down the line. But they, no one would be talking about them right now. But as it is, they, they form the basis of well, I think it's one of the most interesting burgeoning franchises. Um, it won't get everything right. I don't think this is entirely right, but it's certainly one to keep an eye on. Mm, I think that's fair. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at the difference between this and, say, Skyline or something like that. You know, it's, yeah. Yeah. This, yeah. <laughs> this has gotten more love, even from us. Indeed, indeed. Uh, a good note to which to end. That is it for us. Uh, it's goodbye from Helen. Toodaloo. It's goodbye from Ben. Bye. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to be retrofitted. In the Cloverfield franchise. Ooh, where right. are the monsters coming from? I don't, don't want to know. No. Don't, don't ask me that question. It can only end in tears. Literally and metaphorically. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye. Bye.